This week on A Lively Experiment, it's crunch time at the General Assembly. Will this be the year some perennial bills make it to the governor's desk? And the deadline for taking out papers in the first congressional district race is a little over a month away. A Lively Experiment is generously underwritten by... Hi, I'm John Hazen White, Jr. For over 30 years, A Lively Experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program in Rhode Island PBS. Joining us this week, Joe Powers, chairman of the Rhode Island Republican Party, retired URI political science professor Maureen Moakley, and political contributor Don Roach. Welcome to A Lively Experiment. I'm Jim Hummel. We appreciate you spending part of your weekend with us. With Governor McKee on vacation this week, discussion about key pieces of legislation has kicked into high gear in committee rooms and on the floor of the House and Senate. While House fiscal advisors craft a budget behind closed doors, the public debate has focused on some bills introduced seemingly every year, but not quite making it over the finish line. So we've got a lot to talk about. Don, let me begin with you. And I remember last time we were here, we talked, well, actually, last time we were here, Joe, welcome. We had you taped. Now we have you live. Yeah. Uh, Don, we were talking about the Policeman's Bill of Rights, and it seems every year we're not, we're going to get over the finish line. Is this the year? I don't know. I think so. I mean, I've, I really like how the the, con the tone of the conversation, um, I think typically when you're talking about police reform, I have found that many times police are very hesitant and resistant, but it does feel like uh, the police are being responsive uh, to the needs of the public and understand that there are concerns and are willing to concede. So I really, I like that tone. Yeah, I, I think it's, uh, I, think it, I think it will pass. I do agree. And I think, as right, we're ready for compromise. There may be a few details that they have to work out. Uh, Anna Quisada, the senator, she was objecting. But, um, but I think they'll get over that. Anna's running for Congress. Mm. So anytime she can you know, get, in, get her new name in the paper, that's a good thing. But I do think this is the year, and I think they're getting close to a compromise. I think there's a question of who's on the board. Uh, but I think it will pass. So just to set the table on this, for those of you who may not have been following, the Law Enforcement Officers' Bill of Rights went in 50 years ago. It was to protect some rogue chiefs who maybe would discipline officers, but it's kind of swung the other way. You can only discipline an officer with a two-day suspension short of going to a very long hearing. So the proposal is maybe increase that to 10 or 14-day suspension mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. to increase a three-member panel to five to, make in, to bring in some civilians and let the Chiefs talk a little bit about it. So those are the three main things we're talking about. Joe, as you watch this, what do you think is going to play out? Well, I mean, there's no doubt that there's change that should be happening. I mean, it's just part of the, what happens in the, in the way that we move forward in this world. Uh, when it comes to police reform and everything of the sort, as far as the board itself, you know, I was, I'm a military guy. Uh, we had this thing that was called captain's mass back in the day. And when you got in trouble, you got in front of the captain's mass. And the idea was to put you in front of a, um, a jury of your peers. I mean, what better jury of peers than people who actually serve beside you? First off, they know the, um, the, the, they know the rank and file. They know exactly how you're supposed to be behaving. And they know what you should and should not be doing. Um, I think opening it up, though, to, um, and this is just my personal feeling, uh, open it up to the general public. Um, a lot of emotion ends up coming into it, uh, which should be 
kept aside. It's not to say that things weren't, you know, done in favor of certain people for a particular reason. There needs to be some sort of jurisdiction where people can oversee what's going on with it. But being a jury of your peers, I think, is going to be the smartest move. What about the skeptic who says cops are going to protect cops? Because it's a co it's one from the policeman's side, one from the other, and then the neutral. There's a neutral, supposedly neutral person, mm -hmm. but usually they have a law enforcement background. Yeah. And I think the critics would say you really roll the dice because sometimes that person is going to be way pro-police or sure. not. So what about, does it work that way in the military or... Now, in the military, you have, uh, in the captain's mass, is just that. The idea behind it is you were brought in front of everybody, um, and you were put next to the mast of the ship, and the captains actually would sit there and listen to all of the input and all of the evidence that was actually brought before them. But by doing it with, a, with an outside force, having a third party uh, there to regulate what's going on. I don't know if a member of the general public is the right move. Maybe there's some sort of uh, attorney that can be brought in. Maybe there's some sort of a, a judge or some sort of magistrate that can be brought yeah, in. I mean, to you the have same to have thing. some outside verification. Of course. I mean, you, this is not the military. Right. And they are public servants and they work for the public. Mm -hmm. And I think some of the, the, the uh, recommendations are reasonable. It's a question of who will be on the board. And I think it's, it's important to have outside influence. Sure. Um, I think that's. Yeah, I like um, the proposal to have two civilians and three yeah. police. I, I I do think that the senator saying that no, the majority should be civilians. I don't I don't agree with that because I do have faith in our police officers to accurately judge uh, their peers, and I also feel like the the standard with which they will judge their, their peers is going to be high, and I think it should be high. I think it does serve the public interest, but I but I I think where I maybe diverge from from Joe is I think having civilians on there even if they are emotional it's good to have that context because they are public servants and I also don't think all civilians are going to be emotional uh, in these proceedings but they are going to provide a different perspective that I think is needed to help uh, the public trust and maybe to have some training along the way sure. I think the one thing the chiefs have complained about as we know these P policemen bill of rights things sometimes go on for years mm -hmm. the police are continuing the, the accused person is continuing to draw a paycheck mm -hmm. and you can only give a two-day suspension so maybe if you did 10 or 14 and look I don't think you're gonna I read something about oh they're gonna do it if you're tats wrong it's for the serious stuff mm -hmm. but I would think if a chief could give 10 or 14 days, that might eliminate a lot of the hearings. I think it's very important. I think that the, the chiefs need more say. And I think, I think this compromise, I agree with Don, I think this is, this is looking good. And I think I do think we need civilians on the board. And as to that, the 10 or 14 days, do you think that oh, would yeah, help? Oh, yeah, definitely. A 10 or 14 days would help. Either one is going to be a significant punishment. And so uh, I think every profession needs accountability, whether you're a police officer, a teacher, a janitor, whatever. There needs to be accountability. And I don't think what we have today you know, fosters accountability. Joe, what else are you looking at? I'm sorry. Well, no, I was going to say I, I agree. I think the idea of having the punishment's got to fit the crime, right? And and the idea of making it a little bit more painful, if you would, whether it's in the pocketbook or, you know, disciplinary action of some kind is actually where it's going to uh, best benefit and they're going to, quote, unquote, learn their lesson, if you would. But I will say one thing to, to Don's point is the idea of the emotion being brought into the thing. It's It's got to be something that's got to be regulated as far as emotion is concerned. When, emo when emotions goes up, intelligence goes down. And to try and keep a straight head when it comes to it, this is why judges are the way they are. They try to keep judgment out of this as far as the emotional side of things. So. Well, the thing is, you're not going to have, they're not going to appoint someone who's going to break down and cry. Oh, well, no, I'm not saying that. would think that have a somewhat, with some sort of professional, professional background. Sure. 
and would be a reasonable person. I don't, you know, I don't Outs think outside of outside of uh, outside of law enforcement, who might that be? Citizens. Okay. Citizens with experience in different th in different in different aspects. Okay. There are a lot of competent citizens who are not going to break down and cry. Right. Actually, I'm not saying that. And again, I'm not saying somebody's going to get up to the panel and start crying. I'm just saying that it needs to be orchestrated to the point where it's more it's it's following a process and a policy right. as far as compared to yeah. you know somebody getting upset because they think something in a certain way that's all i'm saying i'm not well, i also wonder if the john lugo case is the classic example where the yeah. police the, the leadership wanted to fire him he wound up that case maybe at first blush looked a little worse than it was he wound up getting his job back with just a couple of days suspension i wonder if the if the leadership had the option of a heavier suspension that they might have done that yeah. And it wouldn't have had to go through that whole process. And I, really, I agree with that because some of the, the, there are few. I think the police force is very well run and they serve mm -hmm. us well, you know, uh, in the main. But there are a few really egregious ones, and they're they're put out. They, they have to sit out for two days. I mean, I think the giving the leeway to have this extended, yeah. you know, stay out of the you know suspension, so to speak. I think that's the right thing. I think the package looks really good, Joe. It, Go ahead. Sorry, I was yeah, no. just responding to Joe about the emotion, and you know maybe I you know took his premise as is, but I think his premise though contains some bias because if if like the senator she feels like police are biased towards police, right? And for and she's got a very real reason as to why she thinks that way. I don't think it's fair to say that civilians will be emotional. I think people will take the process very seriously. But they're just going to not have a police bias because they don't maybe they don't have a police background. And I think it's good when you have diverse opinions making mm -hmm. a decision mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. when you have a diverse set of opinions, you can come to the best solution. So I don't think that people are inherently going to be emotional just because they're civilians. But you know, it's interesting because when you talk about the senator, in other words, she had an axe to grind because her daughter was taken up... Had an up interaction with, with police. Yeah. Interaction with police. And again, she's running for Congress. Right. And she gets her name in the paper. So there'll always be those kinds of yeah. quirks to the, to the system. But generally, I think it'll be managed well. To, to be clear, uh, in, in regards to what I'm saying is, is yeah, you need to have some sort of a, a, a lineup that's going to have people that's going to have a lot of multiple multifaceted backgrounds in, in getting in to get the information correct. Um, and I'm not saying that civilians are going to walk into our emotional, but I have yet to see a single uh, defund the police or a rally or anything that didn't get emotional, didn't get loud. And when you have that and you get people cheering it on, it just gets out of hand. And when that emotion goes up, the, the intelligent factor just goes away. So from the it. that's the only reason why the I'm devil's saying. in the details on who you choose for the sure. panel, right, exactly. obviously. Uh, Maureen, what else are you looking at as we head into the home stretch? There's well, sales taxes in play, which is moderate, yeah. uh, housing reform, there, there are a whole pile of stuff. What, what are you I'm interested really interested in, in um, the new proposals about housing. First of all, we've already, you've already talked about the fact that Stephen Pryor has taken over and he has consolidated a lot of these things in terms of uh, keeping it under one roof and funding, and I think he's very, very competent. The new proposal that I'm thinking is interesting is the state may go in and take over some of the property and be the vendor, in other words, and that's a very innovative... Uh, Existing buildings? Yeah. Existing buildings, buildings that are, in other words, there's a package, and there's 14 bills. And one of them is, th this new proposal, is that the state can go in and uh, use abandoned properties and things like that and build affordable housing and manage the thing. It's tricky when you think about 
the state managing uh, this process. Because the state does such a great job with everything else, right? right? I mean, I, I think they do a good job, but I understand what you, I understand what you're saying. But one of the things that's in these provisions is that they're going to um, they're going to co-op lo local control, because what happens at the local level is there's only I think there's thir there's 39 cities and towns, and I think it's only 12 that have reach their commitment on affordable housing. Right. It's actually word, fewer than that. It's yeah. seven. Se I but, thought it was, well, anyway. But that's what sets some people hair, hair on fire, loss of local control, right? Yeah, not necessarily hair on fire, but it makes the hair stand up, right? Like you said it yourself, it's the idea because the government has always done such a smash-up job. I'm in the world of real estate, have been for a very long period of time. Um, eminent domain, uh, if used correctly, is 100 type, type of thing that is going to be benefit for everybody. Um, but I don't know of any government agency that has ever been able to manage any type of real estate transactions. And inside the bill, if I'm not mistaken, it is that they can take possession of, they can also sell the properties as well. They actually take mm -hmm. on the responsibility mm -hmm. for mm -hmm. selling it. And I'm curious on who's going to be selling it. Are they going to be licensed as realtors, brokers? Um, is that what we're going to be coming down to? And then, some guy sitting at the Department of Administration, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah he's, he's, but, passing out, he's passing out his business card. Like, hey, I'll, I'll yeah. sell your eminent domain property if you want. Come see me. I got a fire sale going on. Mm -hmm. But the other side of it, too, is this, this bill also opens it up for them to pretty much take on any property that they want and take it away from local zoning, which is the last three or four bills that I've been actually researching and been looking at. Uh, 801 that's coming to the floor and, and, and uh, 3036, I believe it is, or 3063 it's coming. This is things that it just feels like it's a little bit more of an overreach from government, from the state level, that's actually impeding upon what the local municipalities are doing. Yeah, I think I would agree. I, I, I definitely feel like we've got affordable housing problem, but I don't think we need more government control. I would like more government enablement. That would be better. Um, and so I, I think while the solution seems very well-intentioned that Maureen's talking about, I think I agree with Joe that um, it's kind of scary to, to your point, Jim, what has the state really run well? I know we'll, we'll talk about RIPTA, and we could talk about that for days, um, but I just think government enablement is better than government control in this space. Mm -hmm. That's some of the pushback that I'm hearing, Maureen, is that when you supersede, and look, I understand that affordable housing is not gonna happen overnight. We're mm -hmm. trying to make it, and the speaker has been very clear, this is one of his priorities, but what I've heard from some local zoning boards, why are we here if you're gonna override, like little modifications like what they call the granny flats or the in-law yeah, yeah. in, in well, law There's Martin. a bill for that now. But last year they had a bill that they backed off on that said that every community would have to put together, put a registry of all vacant buildings. And then, so then you think, well, it's the state, what if you have to mothball a school that you might, might right. bring back? So I think that's the concern from the locals. I know from the locals, and I, it's a, Rhode Island has a really strong tradition of local control, and I think that's good. But there have been so many, as, as the speaker has talked about, I mean, you can't build stuff because it's all these minuscule or minutiae that you can't get around. And I think it's gone too far. I think we have to step in in some of these local communities and push the idea of affordable housing and, and get away from some of the regulations. They don't, want, they don't want affordable housing. They don't want to pay for the schools. One Republican senator, which was good, talked about the fact that when they come in and they do this in the local community, perhaps they should also uh, bring in a commercial enterprise with it so that the town has the resources to pay for the schooling and the additional uh, children that are going to be there. But, I, I, you know, it's funny, I, I always knew that Rhode Island had a strong tradition of local control. But when I look into some of these issues, it's really strong. 
And I think it's, um, I think the state has to step in. Um, I, I'm not going to totally disagree. However, I think if it's been so strong, there's got to be a reason for it, and we should probably leave it alone because any local communities that can run their own community, people say it all the time. You hear people in politics all the time, well, you don't know because you're not from here. The same can be said in Rhode Island, from Cranston to Woonsocket to Westerly. I mean, there are different worlds or different lives. Now, is there an element in there, like you said, about somebody proposed bringing in a, something commercial? Well, commercial to me means business. I don't remember the last time anybody from, uh, you know, outside wants to come to Rhode Island to do business. It's very difficult state to actually own and operate and run a business so somebody bringing it now is there a proposal in there potentially of you have a vacant building maybe there is a period of time that the vacant building is allowed to stay vacant before the state says hey listen let's get something done with this property not take it over I mean they're not going to be able to I mean you got still schools out there that they had to close down that they still don't know what to do with the schools and they're sitting mothballing like, like you mentioned earlier it's like that control should remain within the cities and the towns that's how it was constructed since day one I don't really have anything to add other than I'm still stuck on the hair on fire comment from earlier, and I'm like, no, yeah, no hair, those, those no those hair those over those here. Those but very <laughs> insensitive. Very <laughs> insensitive. Right. I'm sorry. Okay. Okay. Well, you know what? It's only as bad as somebody saying the redheaded stepchild. That's right. a, that's a phrase that I'm not so wild about. Hey, Joe, welcome. We had you, as Thank I had you. alluded to before. I had interviewed you when you were first. Um, uh, elected as GOP chairman. I don't know if I say congratulations or condolences. I'm sure you've heard both, both over yeah. the years. Um, it's nice to have you on. Just a couple of minutes while we're here, talk about what, since you and I talked, you're going to have to look to the 2024 election cycle. We'll get to CD1 in a second. <laughs> but talk about what you've been doing to lay the groundwork because it's it's not the easiest sell to have Republicans come on board. Yeah, you know, I was recently reading a book and uh, there's a very powerful line that stuck out in my head and I'm kind of living off of this is, you know, pay the price for preparation. And it's, it means take the time to actually create the foundation of what it is that you're actually going to be working on. Really work on putting a proper system together as compared to just a knee-jerk reaction or just getting out in front and starving it around. Um, over the last few months, that's pretty much exactly what we've been doing. Now, obviously, we've had a couple of hiccups pop up here and there, um, things that we're going to have to be facing, which is CD1, and then, unfortunately, the, the passing of uh, Mary Ellen uh, Goodwin, um, that we got you know, that race coming up, and then also what's going on in Cranston at the same, exact same time. So I wouldn't expect anything different in the political party, uh, in the political party or the political the, the, the landscape of politics in the state of Rhode Island. However, we're working on things right now that is um, we're invoking pretty much a t huge team effort. This is actually probably the first time in a long time that you've seen an entire party that's actually rallying around each other. Um, we've got a lot of input from the local communities, uh, from the local cities and towns, a lot of new chairs, a lot of new delegates, and um, my phone doesn't stop ringing from ideas, thoughts, process, people volunteering, people wanting to do this, people wanting to do that, and we've got a great group of people that we're actually working with right now to get that foundation. So we're right now continuously you know, paying the price for preparation. We're making sure that we're putting everything in place properly before we actually take action. You've run... It, actually, in a, in a fairly, uh, in a city, Cranston, that has done well for Republicans, but being a Republican in Rhode Island, it's, it's challenging. Tell me from the candidate's perspective what you need from the party. From, from the party, just, you know, please just be competent. And don't make it harder for us as candidates to run. Can you, yeah, you know? Joe's leaving. <laughs> He's out. Have some common sense. Um, talk about issues that really impact Rhode Islanders. To me, uh, like Second Amendment stuff is just not super real for Rhode Islanders. Other than, I would say, the majority of Rhode Islanders, as they're seeing all these different school shootings, are probably the majority are saying, like, let's 
let's curtail you know, uh, gun rights versus expanding them. So for me, it's, you know, just being competent, being people we can talk to, um, and also support, like real support, not just these platitudes having like a training session that's like two hours on a Saturday that doesn't really do anything. Um, those are the things, it's, it's, it's not a lot. And um, just putting forth candidates that, you know, uh, are, have a viable chance of winning as well. I also think that uh, it's important for the Republicans, and we need more Republicans. We need a stronger two-party system. Did you say that so again? I'm, a little bit longer. No, we need more Republicans. <laughs> on, on, We've got our own tape. Yeah, but um, I think the idea of working together, pulling together. I mean, there are always it, 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 in past years there were these factions among the Republicans. There's all 26 of them, you know, mm. and they weren't getting together. So I think the idea of trying to create a cohesive state organization, uh, and you're, you're talking about um, preparation. So maybe building from the ground up, you can address some of the issues that Don had when he ran. Mm. I think it's, I mean, I, I, I wish you well. I appreciate I think that. it's good. Thank you. Uh, CD1, I asked you two yeah. months ago when we talked, do you yeah. have anybody lined up? So we actually had a, a lot of conversations. So we've sp spoken to four or five different people. Some people who are very sincere. Some people are just kind of doing, you know, flapping in the wind, see what it's they can get together. It's a tough lift because of the dynamics Without of the question. district and the short timetable. Yeah, the short timetable alone, but just the district in and of itself, the mm -hmm. way it was, you know, designed uh, to, to, to facilitate a certain uh, party. However, we do have somebody that is actually ready and willing to go. We've already had some very deep conversations. They've had the deeper conversations along the, uh, the Washington front. Um, they're not ready to announce just yet. They're just getting everything. They're you got five weeks. paying the price. What's that? Yeah, right. Five weeks, so you have to pull the <laughs> right, papers. Right. It's not that I only have five weeks. It's that I've, um, I still have five weeks. So um, we're working on it right now, right or wrong. I mean, it depends on how you look at it. Um, we're still working on it right now. We definitely have somebody who is uh, ready and willing and able. And um, I'm pretty excited about it because they got you know very good history. Uh, they rock solid person, and um, it's somebody that. Um, you know, I think it's going to do if very well. If you had an well. EEG hooked up to my head, I'm, I'm going through my Rolodex. If, who would that person be? I know be? you Jack, are. Jack, Jack, I can Jack. smell yeah, yeah. the smoke. Yeah. The thing is, I wonder, is any, are people reluctant to run as a Republican because they have to go down to that morass in Washington? In other words, get, you know, getting into that mess. I mean, they talked about Joe Shikarchi and even, you know, even as a Democrat. Right. <clears throat> and is there any reluctance that you've picked up about that? See, I'll, I'll tell you what, the one thing that I enjoy about the Republican Party, and Don can attest to this one, is we're not afraid to get dirty and not afraid to get into the mess. We're not afraid of, of putting up the fight, and a real Republican is somebody who's willing to stand up with what they believe in. I mean, we're Republicans in the state of Rhode Island. Hello? Mm -hmm. I mean, I mean, you can't get more ruby red, oh, excuse me, you can't get more blue than, than any, other, any other state in the country. Right. Mm -hmm. um, I, I feel for Joe in, in, in terms of finding candidates, um, just because he has to kind of give the answers that he just gave. Whereas if we're on the Demo if he was a Democratic chair, he could list off a bunch of names that right. would be very credible to the, the people of Rhode Island. And I think that's what we've got to do. We've got to build a base. Um, and I think the only way we do that, we, Republicans have a lot of great policies that are very appealing to people, all people, especially people of color. But we haven't positioned ourselves in that way. And I really want us to, to be able to do that. And, and I'm hopeful uh, that Joe is able to like reach across, reach 
out to people of color so that it's not like the Republican is just an old white guy party. Maureen, give me your snapshot analysis on the Democratic side. We now have 17 people, I believe. The latest is Bella Noka, who announced on Thursday. We're taping Friday morning from the Narragansett Indian tribe. You've been looking at this from afar. What do you think about the jockeying as we head toward the filing date? Well, I think it's going to be very interesting. First of all, I think the system should be reformed, but that's a whole other that's a whole other topic. But I really think um, a lot of these people are going to stay in. Uh, I think that um, I think one of Joe Fleming talked about the fact that you need a half a million dollars. But the thing is, it seems to me in this particular race with all these small constituencies, you need a ground game. And if you have a, a, you know, if you have a constituency like that, I mean, John Gonzalez has $34,000 in his account and he's, you know, he's in the game. And he, others have a million. Yeah. But I mean, I think it's going to be a little less about money, although we don't know when the ads come out over the summer. But I think the ground game is going to be really important. And I think that matters a lot. And getting free media. I mean, that's one of the things that the candidates are trying to do. And so, you know, it's anybody's guess. I, I mean, I couldn't tell you who is, who, who's a favorite. Um, you know, the Latina community, is they usually stick together, but we have splits in that. There are other people running. Right. So it's, it's going to be very interesting, but, I, you know, I have no idea how it's going to play out. All right. We're moving quickly. Let's go to outrages and or kudos. Tom, let's begin with you this week. Uh, I think my outrage is, uh, is directed towards uh, an incident that happened in Cranston. Uh, we have Matt Riley, who uh, unfortunately was um, had, had to resign as city councilman. city councilman and as chair of the Cranston Republican Party. And, and, and folks may not know exactly where I'm going with this, but where I'm going is more so when people go through things in life, we're very quick to just jump on them say that they're a bad person, they need to do this, they need to be out of office, this, the cancel culture, which I hate. You know, we as human beings just go through stuff and we make mistakes, we do things wrong, but I, but I don't want us to be defined by our mistakes because um, if I'm defined by my mistakes, you know, I, I, I couldn't do anything. And so I feel, I feel for Matt and I just ask for people who are in Cranston, you know, to take, take a second pause, maybe reach out and um, just see if he's okay, um, and not just pile on to him, uh, which is very easy to do. Okay. Maureen, what do you have this week? Mine is about Florida, all right? And I, as an academic, I am really outraged what's going on there in terms of DeSantis and the way he's manipulating the curriculum, talking about what can be, what can be taught and what cannot be, and into detail. And as an academic, I feel I'm really offended by that because it, it really diminishes the quality of education. When I was teaching, and I was teaching certain courses in theory, I would assign the Communist Manifesto because it's a, a classic work of literature, and we would talk about it critically. If you can't do that, if you're not even allowed to talk about it, it's really awful. And moreover, the parents' input has gotten ridiculous. One parent objected to um, Amanda Gorman's The Hills We Crime. It was taken out of the library. One person, that's in Florida, and other states are picking up on it. 
All right. Joe, again, welcome. Great to have you. We, uh, did he pass the test? Do we have him back? Oh, what do yeah. you think? Good, good. All right. <laughs> He's he been kept, been he kept his cell phone right. off, which is the biggest thing, because somebody's going <laughs> to, cell phone's going to go off. Um, what, do you have an outrage or a kudo this week? So I got a huge kudo. So um, I don't, uh, like I mentioned earlier, is unfortunately the passing of uh, Senator Goodwin. Um, at this time, uh, Nyoka Powell, who actually ran for that seat back in 2022, has announced that she's actually going to be running. And uh, what I, um, what everybody, loves about uh, Nyoka is she's an extremely hardworking person. And she's your she, second in command of the she's, party. Uh, yep, second in command. She's second vice chair. Um, she is an amazing person. Uh, not only a, a mom, hardworking mom, um, she's soon to be getting married. Uh, she's an immigrant. Well, well, you Say know again? what? He's, we're giving him, we're giving him <laughs> the, the newcomers. Uh, <laughs> no. I mean, you're the one that said free media, not me. I'm yeah. just like... <laughs> um, my contact lens got a little dry. My point being is that she is a, she, she's an amazing person. She's going to do amazing things for the state of, for the city of uh, all Providence. All right, Joe. Thanks. We'll, we'll we'll have more as we go on, folks. Thank you for joining us, Don and Joe. Good to have you and Marine. Folks, come back here next week. Uh, we are heading into the home stretch. Probably three four weeks left of the general assembly. We'll see what bills make it and what don't. We'll have the full analysis next week for you as the lively experiment continues. experiment is generously underwritten by. Hi, I'm John Hazen White Jr. For over 30 years, a lively experiment has provided insight and analysis of the political issues that face Rhode Islanders. I'm a proud supporter of this great program and Rhode Island PBS.